This morning we open the Word of God to the book of Isaiah, or Isaiah. Been preaching in Isaiah for much of this past year in Mount Nazura. And preached recently on Isaiah 52, 7 to 10. We'll read around that text, beginning in Isaiah 52, verse 1, into chapter 53, verse 6. There we find God's word. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of the watch, your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So far, our reading from Isaiah. Then we'll also read from the letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 to 21. Romans 10, beginning in verse 14. where the apostle quotes Isaiah's words from chapter 52. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Then we'll return to Isaiah 52 We'll read our text again, Isaiah 52, verse 7 to 10. That will be the focus of the sermon this morning, verse 7 to 10. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. After we listen to God's word this morning, we'll sing as our response to it, hymn 81.
beloved in Christ, we're about to do something very old-fashioned. It's not often anymore that people will sit down for 30 or 40 minutes and just listen to another person talking without interruption, without visual aids, without any active engagement with the audience. But that's what a sermon is. And so a sermon is an old-fashioned curiosity in the age of YouTube and TikTok. For those are the ways that we get entertained, informed. So the question is sometimes asked in our time, do sermons still matter? How can a preacher actually expect to get his message across in this way? If a sermon was a web page, wouldn't you be clicking and scrolling to get away as soon as you lost interest? I think we would. And yet, if we have ears to hear, the Lord God has something to say. For God tells us that preaching has power. Through Isaiah, God says that he will use the spoken word to communicate good things to his people. And more than from any other source, Paul tells us in Romans, faith comes by hearing the word. And all that makes sense because our God is a speaking God. Just consider how the Lord is speaking, talking, right from the beginning of time. He calls all things into being, words with power. And how he speaks through every following century, talking to his friend Abraham, teaching Israel, warning through the apostles and the prophets. It's what God does, not just to make his point, but he speaks to communicate his love. The humans who bring his message are weak and ignorant men, yet God will use their words. If the text has been read clearly, if the passage has been explained properly, if Christ has been lifted up, then the preacher's words can be received as what they really are, the words of the living God. That's what we see happening in our text too. God sends one of his messengers to Zion, someone to announce glad tidings. It's the same gospel message that we get to listen to and one that makes us think about how we receive that preaching every Sunday again. What is the good news, beloved? What does God want you to do with it when you hear it? I preach God's word to you from Isaiah 52. On this theme, God sends a preacher of his good news to Zion. We'll look at the waiting people, the reigning God, and the growing praise. Imagine for a moment that you are living in a city that's under siege. Maybe a city in present-day Ukraine, surrounded by Russian tanks. Or living in Nazi-occupied Netherlands during World War II. Under siege and under threat, you wait anxiously for any news of deliverance. You live for that day when you hear that a friendly army has broken through that circle of invading troops. They're coming to set you free. If they can do that, there is hope. If not, then all is lost. Well, it wasn't long ago that Judah had endured 
such a siege, one thrown up against Jerusalem by the Assyrians. The enemy came, they made a lot of noisy threats, and their armies looked ready to starve the city into submission. King Hezekiah and the rest of Jerusalem had very good reason to be terrified. But then another army came passing through the area, the forces of the king of Ethiopia. The Assyrians withdrew a little ways from Jerusalem and came to Libna, a city not far from the capital. And there, while the Assyrians camped waiting for battle, the angel of the Lord went out and killed 185,000 of the enemy. That was the end of the threat to Jerusalem. Just think of how that news would have come to Jerusalem. Messengers would have raced from Libna to Jerusalem, carrying that astonishing report. Somehow the enemy has been destroyed. The threat has disappeared. Hearing the message, you might have thought that it was too good to be true, and yet it was true. God delivered his people once again. Well, that's the kind of scene that is unfolding in our text as God sends a messenger to his people concerning a great victory. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. What makes this news so good is how bad the situation had been. That's what Isaiah describes in the first part of this chapter. He says, Zion has been defiled by the uncircumcised and the unclean. Verse 1, she has been enslaved with chains around her neck. Verse 2, she's been sold for a pittance. Verse 3, she's been oppressed and mocked. Verse 4 and 5, both Egypt and Assyria have treated Judah like she was worthless. But not for long. God cares too deeply for his people to ever leave us ruined and hopeless. God is the unfailing strength of the weak, the mighty savior of those who need rescue. We need to hear that message. And so God sends his preacher to Zion. In our text, Isaiah pictures him as a lone runner, a man crossing the hills on his way toward Jerusalem. When there was going to be a battle nearby, that's what people in the city under siege would have anxiously looked for afterwards. They would have looked to the hills for a sign of hope. And if you looked out onto the hills and you saw a bloodied gang of survivors barely holding on until they reached safety, you would know at once the battle was lost. But if you saw a man running and he's got a spring in his step, and energy to keep going, and even to speed up as he gets closer, that would be the most beautiful sight, heartening, encouraging. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. This messenger is coming to announce God's great victory. And for the people who are waiting, this messenger has beautiful feet not because his ankles are especially attractive or his toes so tantalizing, but because it's his feet 
that have carried him here to bring that amazing news of the Lord's work. The people are so glad to receive him. And then the news quickly spreads. For men are standing on the city walls. In that time, watchmen always patrolling, morning, noon, and night. Scanning the horizon, they would look for approaching enemies. They would watch for any allies drawing near. They were the front line of response. The watchmen, verse 8, see God's messenger. And what is their response? The watchmen, they lift up their voice, verse 8 says. There's a hopeful shout as the messenger draws near. The people waiting down below know that something good is happening. There's a definite buzz in the air, and it grows into this loud chorus. God has done something amazing. There's deliverance from evil. There's new hope for tomorrow. And when he paints this beautiful picture for us, Isaiah wants us to think big. To think big. He tells Judah, this is bigger than when God wiped out the Assyrian army at Libna. This is a greater salvation than that. He tells us today, this is bigger than God helping you to overcome your personal fears or family troubles. This is a greater salvation. It's the salvation that Isaiah has been speaking about a lot lately. The one accomplished by the servant of the Lord, the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ who came to pull sinners out of our deepest misery. He came to lift the heaviest load from our backs, our sin, and the punishment it deserves. It's the message God sends us, sends you, in his word, the good news of our salvation. We get to read that word of salvation every day. And we get to listen to that word every Sunday. That solitary runner running with joy across the hills to to announce good news, he's just like the preachers whom God sends to you today. This is what the Lord's chosen servants will do. They bring glad tidings to God's waiting people, to the church, and to the world. You can think of how Paul portrays his ministry In Romans 10, in Romans 10, he's speaking about how the Jews in his time needed to hear that true gospel of Christ. And if they didn't, they would never come to faith. They'd remain in condemnation forever. And as he thinks about that need for preaching, Paul asks those tightly connected questions. We read those in verse 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So I need to preach, you can hear Paul saying. I need to preach. If I don't tell the Jews about Christ, then who will? And then Paul quotes our text. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That was his privilege, to be 
a preacher of the good news, to tell great sinners about the great Savior. In Paul's time, certainly, the Jews did not all receive this message with faith. And in a few minutes, we'll see how Isaiah's audience reacted to the message. This is a good time, beloved, for us to think about our own response to the gospel. To think about how we answer the preaching. Because God sends his messengers to us too. A preacher who comes to us with the true message of the gospel is like that runner on the hills of Judah. A preacher climbs this pulpit in Mundajong every Sunday and tells you the glad tidings of salvation. The word of God is opened. His saving works are recounted. And God's messenger speaks on behalf of the Lord himself. And then do we say that the preacher has beautiful feet? It's all in how we regard the preacher's message. Are we eager to hear it? Do we welcome that gospel? And then what do we do with it once we've heard it on Sunday morning? We have to make sure that we have open ears for that preaching. And here I'd like to extend that message to include the work of the elders. For if the preacher is the messenger on the mountains, then the elders really are the watchmen on the walls. That's what scripture calls them, watchmen, standing guard, overseeing God's people. They hear God's message, and they too pass it on to the Lord's church. They do it in their visits to you. They do it in their conversations with you. The point is, God is sharing his word with you in generous ways. But the word is only received well if the people are waiting for it. Isn't that true? The best news is good news that you've actually been waiting for, preparing yourself for. Think of a time when you're waiting for news and you desperately hope that it would be good. News about a recent scan at the hospital, results from a big test at school, word on a new job. Then we are so glad to hear something positive. Good health, a blessed outcome. We're ready to receive the good news because we we're waiting for it. Are we still waiting for the gospel? Eager to hear it? Do we come to church this morning hungry to hear the word of God? When it's something good that we've heard many times, it's hard to get excited. To you and me, it will be good news only if we realize how much we need it. How much we need the Lord every day, every hour. So cherish what it means, the gift of God's grace, entrusted to you, a sinner. That was the waiting people. 
that will consider the reigning God. So God sends his preacher across the hills toward Zion. He's running swiftly, running gladly. And what is his message? He says to Zion, verse 7, Your God reigns. At first, that's a surprising word. We expect God's messenger to say something like, Your enemies are toast. Your city is safe. But instead, he announces the reign of God. And beloved, reflect on why that really is the best news. News worth celebrating. It is because there are many moments in life when the only thing that we see is what's directly in front of us. This trouble at home. It's all we see. This medical test. This disappointment, this anxiety, this sin. And in those times, we haven't rejected the idea of God being sovereign. We haven't denied that God is involved in this hard moment. But that truth doesn't move us. The same for Judah. Harassed by enemies, slated to go into exile before long, devoid of hope. God must have seemed a world away. And that's exactly what Judah was saying. You can think of Isaiah 40 where the prophet admonishes the people, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Nothing worse than feeling forgotten, forsaken by others, and forgotten by God. But here comes God's messenger, and this is his good news in a nutshell. Your God reigns. The Lord is still on his throne. Your king has not died. He's not been replaced by someone else. But your God reigns. That means that God has established his kingship over all. When Judah was dreading Assyria and then Babylon and then the next enemy, they could know your God still reigns. When we fear all manner of things in this life, from the uncertainties of our health to the weight of our sin and guilt, the gospel tells us, your God reigns. Don't forget it. Don't think that this changed when you weren't paying attention. God is still directing every event in your life. In every event in human history, in his goodness and his wisdom. You are secure. You are free through God's power. It's only a three-word message for this preacher. Your God reigns. But Isaiah then works it out by describing the different parts of the message. God's messenger comes flying over the hills, and as soon as he's within earshot, verse 7 says, he publishes Peace, or proclaims peace. It's one of Isaiah's favorite words, peace. And it stands for the wholeness that God restores. There is the end of war. There is the removal of enemy threat. The cancellation of internal strife. Yet it is much more. Real peace goes deeper 
than surface realities. It's deeper than Judah's politics, peace. It's deeper than your mental state. God's peace, under God's reign, means that God is putting all things right. Not just among the nations, and not just in your heart, but fundamentally, God creates peace through Jesus Christ. Christ has reconciled us to God so that he has become our Father. God's preacher comes publishing peace and bringing good news of happiness. Verse 7. Good news is a message that makes people happy. It's a word that people receive with joy. There's nothing bad here to ruin the mood, but the preacher's message is unmistakably good. Your God reigns, and he reigns for your benefit. There have been many preachers of this good news. Isaiah himself was one of the greatest. And Isaiah might even be referring to himself in that final description of the preacher's work as the one who publishes salvation. For that's what the name Isaiah means. God Saves. God is salvation. What's happening in Judah is the work of God alone. What's happening in the church is the work of God alone. God saves. And then a couple verses later, Isaiah says more about this saving work. Look at verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And the phrase to highlight there is about God bearing his arm. In the Bible, someone's arm often stands for their ability to get things done. Think of God who even saved his people with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Well, now that picture gets even more vivid because in verse 10, The Lord bears his holy arm to save us. He makes a display of his strength, like he's rolling up his sleeves to do something strenuous. God is going to work for us. That's good news all on its own, to know that Almighty God is active on our behalf. He's not sitting still, idle, on his throne, uninvolved. But God is stretching out his arm to save us. And he does so in the sight of all the nations. This is good news, says Isaiah. Your God reigns. Because it means there's going to be a homecoming in Zion. The Lord returns in victory. That's what is happening in verse 8 when it says... For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Picture God himself returning to his holy city. The Lord coming near his people in peace. That's the ultimate salvation. God returning to his people. We were estranged from God. We were his enemies. We had no hope of rebuilding fellowship with God, but the Lord returns to his people. God draws near. 
and he puts things right. Well, in this chapter, Isaiah doesn't tell us how that's going to happen. You might wonder, how is it possible for the Lord to return to Zion? Well, you just have to read one chapter more to find out how this is possible. Isaiah 53 tells the story of Christ, God's servant. How he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. How he was wounded for our transgressions. Verse 5, and bruised for our iniquities. That's the good news. That's the glad tidings of great joy. That's how peace is possible. Jesus came to comfort his people and to restore our hope. And now Jesus reigns over all. We said there's such a gospel message in those three words, your God reigns. Well, when we open the New Testament, we find the same gospel message in a nutshell. But now it has a new shine, for it is this. Jesus is Lord. That's the good news, the best news. Jesus is Lord of all, has conquered all his enemies. He has cast out Satan. He has swallowed up death. And he has destroyed the power of sin. Jesus is Lord means that he is Lord of all who believe in him. You belong to him in body and soul, life and death, and so you are secure. He is on his throne. Your God reigns, and you can trust in him with everything. Well, finally, the growing praise, our final point. Maybe you've been in an audience before where there's a swelling reaction to the performance on stage. First a bit of tentative clapping, then a bit more, now some shouting, and then people are on their feet and getting noisy. There's growing praise. And that's what actually happens in our text. As God's messenger comes into view, the watchmen first lift up their voices. They hear glad tidings and they rejoice. And then it grows. It says, with their voices, they sing together. Isaiah says they see eye to eye, not in the sense of agreement, but in the sense of seeing something with total clarity. They know what this means, that right behind the messenger is God himself. And so the joy spreads from the messenger to the watchman on the walls to the people of Zion. Verse 9 says, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. Soon the whole city is in an uproar, breaking forth in praise. The song spreads throughout the lands, even to the nations. There's this mass choir of people joyfully giving praise to God. Beloved, that's a good point as we close to revisit the question of our response to the preaching. When God speaks, do we have ears to listen? We said that when we are awaiting people, eager to listen, hungry for spiritual food, 
deeply aware of sin, then God's message will be a great joy to us every time. And then we'll see that the preacher really does have beautiful feet as he comes because we'll realize how much we need to hear that message of Christ. And we'll be so glad to hear it Sunday by Sunday. When we have ears to hear, then we will also have mouths to rejoice. We'll join that choir of praise to God our Father. But is that how we receive it? Isaiah preached for a long time, and he didn't always get a good response. Paul, too, preached for a long time, yet many Jews rejected him, many Gentiles, too. That's a sobering thought for any preacher, and for a congregation, too, to realize that probably not everyone sitting here will combine the preaching with faith. There's a good reason that Isaiah starts this chapter with a call to wake up. In verse 1, awake, awake, no more slumber. It's time for you to wake up and revive. And we as God's people too need to be roused from our sleep. Beloved, we have heard it many times. But are you awake? Are you awake to what God offers you in the gospel? Does it move you? Or are you bored? Or do you live like you are bored with God? And bored with Christ? Doing your own thing and going your own way? It's time to wake up. May your life and my life be marked by growing praise, by a rejoicing in the Lord, by a slow but sure increase in our love for God. Let your life be filled with an increase of worship, a rising trust, a greater dedication to God's word. For this shall always be true. Your God reigns, and Jesus is Lord. Amen.